0: Good morning everyone. Terry's asked me to tell my story. Now apologies to those who've heard it before. And I never really think it's particularly remarkable anyway. But here it is. You saw I had a wonderful, classic 1960s uh, childhood. The weather was always sunny and we did mountain walk. We had great parents, uh, a dad who could fix absolutely anything. At that point in time my folks were Methodists so I was dragged along to church until I was old enough to refuse Um, and it never really felt real to me as such. So anyway at 13 um, I joined a band, Uh, we played a lot of old people's homes and village fates. and uh, at 16 we were told that all levels were much more important so we had to stop doing that and uh, that was that. Um, I hated school. In fact, uh, I spent more time at my pals' farm shooting and driving cars and riding motorbikes Uh, and uh, I got mediocre results in school anyway, so I left as soon as I could uh, and I started work. Um, And then, some years later, in one of those God coincidences, I guess, uh, at 20, I bumped into one of my former bandmates, who actually is probably now my oldest friend. it was in a Christian rock band and one thing led to another and before I knew it I joined a house church. Uh, that August I was married, uh, it was probably unwise, the best, and it turned out to be a disaster. Um, but on the 1st of September in 1982 um, I sat alone in my uh, TR7 sports car in a car park and I made a decision to follow Jesus, whatever that meant to me at the time. Or at least uh, give him a try. Um, then that November, um, I was baptized and uh, hardcore baptism. None of this heated tank thing. It was in a cold river up in Weardale, and I think that's probably when I met met the uh, supernatural God for the first time. And without a doubt, coming out of that water, I was I was changed. I felt completely different, and it's so hard to explain. But that experience almost 40 years ago now, stays with me vividly. Anyway, this church was one of those that that was kind of popular at the time. Uh, They suggested that you couldn't really be a real Christian without the gift of tongues. So there was a little bit of time uh, where I was a bit confused about all of that. Um, Because back then and today, I guess, um, people can take a small part of the Bible, uh, quote it out of context and maybe justify their own opinions in 1 corinthians 12 paul says now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good to one there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom to another a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by that one spirit to another miraculous powers to another prophecy to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are just the one of work of the one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. So anyway, that gift, I suppose, when I stopped asking for it, it came in the end. Um, and looking back, I think, possibly, that period might have triggered a bit of a warning sign. Anyway, for a few years, I was full on for God, but sure enough, the house church fell apart. Um, I joined an helium church. I started a band, a youth club. We played across churches across the Northeast. Uh, Even we did a three night tour of a a village outside of Glasgow, which is like very glamorous. And then comes 1984 and Billy Graham comes to Roga Park and loads of us went along and I saw many many of my friends go forward to that altar call. Sadly few of those are actually have remained in the the faith Um, and it was kind of a a wonderful time and a wonderful experience but the the emotion of those kind of events can I guess sometimes get out of control. Anyway, meanwhile the career was going quite well and somehow with a few more levels I managed to work myself up uh, through management quite quickly But better than that, I met my lovely wife Barbara. Uh, We were both in the process of being divorced and in 89 we married and there I was with a lovely wife and a ready-made family with our daughter Lucy then five years old. Uh, We moved to Sheffield to build a distribution centre. We worked together for a long time sharing that success. Barbara was not she still is um, a practicing Catholic. She's always been very involved in the church and throughout my time in this sort of spiritual wilderness she maintained her faith and her disciplines. Uh, Lucy went to a lovely Catholic uh, primary school and I enjoyed the company of a priest who was a wonderful godly Irishman with a great talent for telling stories and unpacking the Bible and a great taste for Guinness, which I learned to share too. Uh, the career was good, but there wasn't much time for God, not much time for the Bible, so this although I would say, I was successful, you know, in inverted commas. Essentially, for 20 years, I was probably in the wilderness. Um, I never really lost faith in God, but I thought I didn't need church and I especially didn't want to hang around with religious people. Uh, the thing is, even when you think you've left God, He hasn't left you. Um, and one of the amazing things that I, I, I kind of realized back then was in my view, I thought, well, you know, once saved, always saved, whatever we've done, uh, wherever we've been in life, God can never love us any less or any more, and he loves us unconditionally. Uh, In Romans 8, Paul says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus our Lord. And when I got that and understood that, everything became clearer. Anyway, back to the story. So um, there we are, doing all right, um, living in Sheffield, got enough money and a couple of houses and what you would say to be material success. And then the wheel came off. i have been riding motorbikes all my life from the age of 12 on the roads from 16 and I never didn't have at least one bike but I never had an accident uh, on race tracks I had a few knee and misses one in fact just a few days before my accident I got a speed wobble at 180 miles an hour at Cadwell Park and I did wonder whether I would make it through the other side of that but that was that was all fine and then I had a really low speed crash around town, uh, bounced across the road, came to rest on the footpath and I sat up, took off my jacket and my helmet wept about my broken bike that was still bouncing down the road but I wondered why I couldn't feel my legs. Anyway, it turned out I broke my spine. Um, for four months, I was basically strapped to a bed uh, learning about the real impact of spinal cord injury. I do remember on maybe day three, the consultant telling my wife and parents, don't worry, we we'll let, won't let him leave until he's clean and dry. And I said, what's he talking about? I don't know what that means but I came to realise that not being able to walk is a tiny part of actually what happens when you sever your spine. Uh, After a week or so I had surgery and some titanium fitted. Uh, Surgery didn't go particularly well and I was ill for a few days. And then I remember coming out of unconsciousness uh, to see the Twin Towers on the TV and I thought that was uh, part of the morphine experience. Uh, and sadly it wasn't so you know if you ask where were you on that day I could tell you exactly and for weeks and weeks um, I ranted at God come on what's this about God again and again what's this about I get it I know you're there Uh, I know you're still there for me but why? why why has this happened and I'm not saying this was like simple or quick but eventually I started to sense something in my spirit god saying i love you it's going to be all right i love you it's going to be all right." so just before christmas uh, i returned home we all wept for a little while and it took a little time to adjust to this new life to redefine who i was uh, what i was what i believed and without a doubt i couldn't have got through it without my wonderful wife and daughter um, but eventually, I came to realise that, as tough as it sounds, uh, this is part of God's plan. Because I think God, God has a plan for every moment in our life. And I, like even back then, I, I had to kind of lean back into what I believed all those years ago, and it it settled on my spirit quite quite fine, really. Um, anyway, I got through this, and I got a real sense that God had got me in the palm of His hand. Uh, He got my attention. He told me uh, that his grace was a free gift with no strings attached. He told me, don't expect to be perfect. I don't expect you to be perfect. He told me to live and have a full life. He told me I was loved. He told me my past didn't matter. He gave me these verses over and over again. For I know I have the plans for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. We'll come back to those those verses later. Anyway, after a couple of years I realised I couldn't really go, go back to, to, to my job. I, I was running a distribution business with a few thousand staff, and 70 or so sites across the country up and down and seven or eight hundred lorries and anybody that's ever been in a warehouse you will know that it's not an environment that's particularly wheelchair friendly and uh, driving a thousand miles a week uh, with a severed spinal cord isn't really an option Um, even though I'd by then learnt to uh, to drive with my hands, uh, with a hand control Anyway, the company gave me a bit of time, a couple of years to make my mind up, uh, I decided not to go back. So there I am, I'm 40, uh, essentially I'm retired. Across the first 10 years or so, I was working like, in and around the NHS and then building websites, um, doing various things that sort of felt worthwhile at the time, uh, including uh, learning to fly, learning to be a silversmith, uh, I finished my MBA, I set up a couple of charities and even a, a business um, to teach people folk music uh, and that's a dark, dark secret this is the first time I've con, con, uh, confessed to it. Uh, we didn't have banjos though. Uh, anyway, uh, Lucy finished university so we left Sheffield and returned to the northeast. and sure enough with God's impeccable timing and his sense of humour he, he really does make me laugh, uh, I find myself back in church Doing music and actually enjoying life in a in a simpler, realer way. It is said that uh, until you step off the treadmill, you don't realise what a pointless exercise it is. Um, and yes, we miss the money and the position and trimmings of success occasionally, uh, but very rarely. Um, it took me probably ten years to not to deal with the question when you meet new people, uh, or what do you do and uh, I always said, well I used to be this, just as I've said earlier on in this in this talk, I used to do this, I used to do that, wasn't I clever? Uh, but our culture and society seem, seems to define us by what we do and uh, when something like this happens to you, uh, I guess you call it a life-changing experience, then you have to kind of redefine what you are and stop worrying about, what you do, what you drive, where you live, because really it doesn't matter. Um, So, where's all this going? I've got three words, uh, three big words, and each word could really be a sermon or two in itself. The first thing I've got to say is I still struggle with all of these things, and I suppose I always will, but it is a journey, it is a journey, and it's a journey that you have to do, uh, with God. It was terrible. I sat in the big hall and put my packet of polos on the desk, and my spare pencil and my support gonk, and my chewing gum, and my extra pen, and my extra polos and my lucky gonk, and my pencil sharpener shaped like a cream cracker, and three more gonks with a packet of polos each, and lead for my retractable pencil, and my retractable pencil, and then spare lead for my retractable pencil. <laughs> and uh, chewing gum, and pencils, and pens, and more gonks. And the guy said, stop writing, please. <laughs> Thanks, Neil. Matthew 6:25 to 34. This is from the message version. <clears throat> if you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes, or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach. There's far more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God, and you count far more to him than the birds. Has anyone, by fussing in front of the mirror, ever got taller by as much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion. Do you really think it makes much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields, look at the wildflowers. they never prim or shop, but have you ever seen colour and design quite like it? The ten best dressed men in the country look shabby alongside of them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax not to be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now don't get so worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Worry is pointless and destructive. And what have they ever given us in return? The aqueduct? What? The aqueduct. Oh, yeah, yeah, they did give us that. That's true, yeah. And the sanitation. Oh, yeah, the sanitation, Reg. Remember what the city used to be like. Yeah, all right, I'll grant you the aqueduct and sanitation are two things the Romans have done. And the roads. Well, yeah, obviously yeah. the roads. I mean, the roads go without sand, don't they? But apart from the sanitation, the aqueduct and the roads... Irrigation, medicine, yeah. education. Yeah. yeah, yeah, all right, fair enough. And the wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's something we'd really miss, Reg, if the Romans left. <laughs> Public baths. And it's safe to walk in the streets at night now, Reg. Yeah, they certainly like to keep order. Let's face it, the only ones who could in a place like this. <laughs> All right, but apart from the sanitation, the medicine, education, wine, public order, irrigation, roads, a fresh water system, and public health, what have the Romans ever done for us? Brought peace? Oh, peace! Shut up. So let's talk about negativity. Negativity always justifies itself. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Proverbs 16:2. We can generally justify the way we think and act. There are usually good reasons for us to feel hurt or maybe victimised, but justifying won't change anything. It just gives us a reason to accept mediocrity or failure. Negativity attempts to justify its stance by quoting experience. Religion sometimes justifies itself through tradition and experience. However we must stand firm in our determination to succeed because the moment we begin to justify ourselves we we'll just cut off all the opportunities we have to change and to grow. Negative people draw on negative experiences and they build their beliefs and opinions around them. Then they justify their position because of what's happened to them. Positive people are much more likely to change themselves to line up with their potential. In negativity chooses your friends for you. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Proverbs 13:20. We need to be very careful who we spend our time with and who we allow to give us advice. Are there people that are moving onward or upward? Or are they just wallowing in negativity, self-pity and mediocrity, going nowhere fast? Are their words inspiring you to be the person you intended to be, or are they deflating and distracting you? Whatever direction your friends are headed in will have a major influence on your future, if you allow it. A person determined to overcome negativity and to fulfil their destiny can't afford to be held back by lead weight relationships. Negativity magnifies and distorts the truth. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression but a good word makes it glad. Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety is built on what might happen. It affects every area of your life and it thrives on what if. what I get, If I get ill, what if I lose my job? What if my kids have an accident? Negativity and anxiety work closely together. An anxious or depressed person can't see straight. Their perspective on life is blown out of all proportion. Small things seem huge, molehills turn into unbeatable mountains, so if you're looking at a world from a heart full of uh, cynicism and bitterness, your perspective of the truth more than likely will become magnified and distorted in a destructive way. Negativity makes sweeping statements and harsh judgement. When King David began to dance with joy and happiness, in the midst of a great crowd his wife. Watch with disdain. Embarrassment fueled her caustic and sarcastic retort. How inglorious was the king of Israel today I will dance, I will sing to be mad for my king. Nothing lord us in the rain, there's passion in my soul. dancing the real issue? Was it the negative condition of his wife's heart that prompted her to make such judgment? It's so easy to watch people from a distance and make sweeping judgments about them. Sadly the need to criticize or pull down comes from a negative condition within us. Negativity will rob you. It will rob you of the great future that God intends so challenge the negativity in life. So if we can overcome negativity And if we can overcome worry, where does that leave us? Saul. Saul. Why are you persecuting me, Saul? Who are you? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Get up to the city of Damascus. You will be told what you are to do. After his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul had a lot to learn about salvation and following Christ. Throughout his time, the Apostle shared what he was discovering. In his letter to the church at Philippi, he wrote about a very important life lesson, the secret of being content. You might think... What kind of life brings contentment? You might assume it's one with few troubles or great success. You might want great health, financial security and a loving family. I know I did. Paul's life wasn't like this at all. He was in danger from both his own countrymen and the opposition. Sometimes the people listened, but more often than not, they were hostile to his message. He also had a thorn in the flesh, which God refused to move theories about what that thorn was but I think each of us has their own thorn mine is nerve pain it's a chronic condition never goes away Um, and it affects sleep and all the rest of it but really that's nothing compared to Paul who spent time in prison he was chained to a guard yet he wrote I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation the secret he discovered was to learn to live on the basis of his position in the Lord and not his feelings. As God's child, Paul knew he was spiritually rich, he was blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ because he had a loving Father and the Holy Spirit's guidance. So contentment in our, especially now I think, in uh, in this post-COVID media-driven era, it's hard to find and it's harder to keep. There's always something newer, bigger or better to buy and someone else has always got what you want. When you feel unsatisfied, try basing your response on your position as a co-heir with Christ. Yes, a co-heir with Christ. Remember we've talked about how he can't ever love you more. And he meets you where you are. And he takes you as you are. Contentment can be found but it can't be found without that relationship so to close this has gone on a lot longer than I planned to so apologies for that let's all declare I've learned to trust God even when it seems impossible I've learned not to worry about anything I've learned to be content I've learned that negativity is a robber these words are not just adjectives they're verbs they're choices we must actively choose not to worry. We must actively choose to learn to be content, whatever our circumstances. And finally, we must actively choose to try to not be negative, and to avoid spending too much time with negative people, because that negativity will rub off. Thanks for listening, Church. Amen.